Would you open your um, Bibles to the book of Luke? If you're a visitor, we're really glad you came. Um, if you want to, um, we'd love to have a record of your visit. And you can do that by seeing the lovely Angie Renault and have a complimentary beverage, as well as a, uh, a wristband made by some kids that we're supporting in Togo, Africa. For every bracelet I give away, we give away as a church. We donate 10 bucks to this mission. And it is these young men and women that it pays for 10 bucks. You think, man, I need to send my kid to MTSU. Send him to Togo. 10 bucks for a week for broom, board, and trade school. Because what happens is a lot of these kids grow up and they're well-fed and they got nowhere to go. So we're saying let's, let's not allow that to happen. So whether it's construction or banking or skills that they're learning. So for just visiting, you give me one day at Conduit and we give them a week there. So see Angie afterwards at the coffee table. She'll have a visitor card. You could fill it out and then we'll give you a wristband. It, it may not be as colorful and festive as mine, but it is handmade by a young man or woman uh, across the ocean. Luke chapter 21. Jesus was talking to his disciples about what would be the signs of the uh, coming of his, of his return. And they said in verse 7, well, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And then in verse 10, he begins to say, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Interesting, that means tribe against tribe, interestingly enough, that's the word. There will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But verse 14, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or to contradict. In verse 20, when you see Jerusalem, interesting, being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those in the city get out. And let those in the country not enter the city. And then into verse 24. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled upon the Gentiles by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And verse 25. There will be... Signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the seas. If that sounds familiar to you. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up. And lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Would you pray with me? Father, we, um, we have a finite amount of time this morning to dig into your word. And it's our prayer that it will be to us what you promised it would be, which is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. That it would illuminate how we should operate in a world that seems to be falling apart. How might we then live? And I'm so excited because your word is exactly what you promised it would be. In your name, in your nature, we pray. Amen. So 10 years ago, I'm sitting at the stoplight at Bell Road and 24 Highway Interstate because I'm on my way to work at a company that I owned at the time called Shikari. 
Shikari was a Hindu word for big game hunter. And what had happened was about a year and a half, two years before that, I had had a little mini Jerry Maguire moment at a company called William Morris Agency and quit. And they're not used to that. And so after a lot of uh, foul language that they use with me, you're like, this is the William Morris Agency. You have any idea how stupid this is? Um, I just knew that that wasn't how I wanted to grow old. You know, working in that environment on that treadmill. And so the only other place that I could think to find, uh, to use the skill sets, which is basically this, selling somebody who thinks they're worth more than they are to somebody who thinks they're worth less than they are. And all the agents said, amen. But that's, that's what a headhunter was. And we specifically focused in the Silicon Valley, in the wireless application space, because they were the highest salaries being paid. And we went out there thinking, we're going to do half cash, half stock deals, and we'll start this company, and we will become a retained headhunting firm for these wireless application companies. The guy that the first meeting we wandered into was a guy named Kayur Patel. Kayur, as you might have guessed, was from Egypt. And within a couple of meetings, we had an investment of a million dollars. And I'm like, what, 30 years old, thinking, well, that was easy. And... And we moved back to, went back to Brentwood and we opened an office and that was the company that I was going to at that time. Now the problem was, is our company was already in, in danger. We, had, we <laughs> it seemed like we were so smart at the time, half cash, half stock. And we had to fight for that, by the way. Like, no, no, we, we insist. And, and if, if you've been around that business at all, these were pre IPO options with no vesting period that the minute they went public, we could sell, be rich. And we were looking at houses on Concord road. And 18 months later, we had made and lost a fascinating amount of money because the market was already beginning to teeter. And so we were at that point in August of 2001 having conversations. Should we just go play golf for nine months and see what happens or should we shut it down? We just didn't know. We knew that um, – I knew this when a CEO on the phone tells me, Darren, look, I like you, so I'm going to be honest with you. It would be a better use of my money to stand up on the roof and throw it down to poor people than to pay you. Because I've got resumes stacked up now. I'm like, well, that's not a good sign. Uh, but here was the, the kicker for us. On 9-11, sitting at that stoplight, I knew that the world was changing. By the time I got to Nolensville Road, the second plane had hit the tower. And they, they, uh, the Rick and Bubba show, which is one of my favorite radio shows, if you've never heard of it, the two sexiest fat men alive. Uh, <laughs> you, if you're, you're missing out if you've not listened to Rick and Bubba. It had been interrupted now by a national radio and by the time I got to my office on Virginia Way, the other plane had hit the tower, and I called Shannon and said, you know, I, something, this is not normal. This is big, and you should probably go home. She was taking Maddie to preschool at Christ Church, and Maddie was like just a little peanut, and she had just started getting hair. We were very excited. You see her hair now, but she was bald for like three years. Um, you probably, so she turned around and went and picked up Maddie and went home. And I remember we were gathered around our uh, little TV with little rabbit ear antennas on it because, you know, wireless internet was, you know, broadband was barely even around. I think I still had an AOL email account. I'll do respect to those of you that still have AOL. <laughs> I, I was gathered around and then the, the towers collapsed. And I'm like, this is, this is big. And I remembered on the drive home, I had a, uh, my little white Jeep. I had the top down because it was a beautiful day. And they began to say this guy or this guy might be on the plane or this might be the one. And the first thing I'm thinking is 95% of the people that I work with are either from Asia, India, or the Middle East. 
And I remember spending those coming days looking through my database and seeing if any of their names were there. Because they looked like the guys that I'd been working with. I mean, I knew they weren't rooting for Israel, but come on. That was September 11th, 2001 for us. It was the beginning of a change. We ended up shutting down the company in October, and I started a management company. It was we shut down on Friday, started a management company on, on a Monday. And God used that moment to basically build, ironically, the company that we put the least amount of thought and preparation into became the most successful company that we had ever operated. So Jesus would say that when we begin to see some things happen, that we ought to, we ought to pay attention. And, and I bring this up because you're saying, yeah, but Darren, that was 10 years ago and he didn't come back. I mean, I'm not kidding. My mom called Darren. Is this it? Is this Jesus coming back? Like she was, she'd read all the Tim LaHaye books, seen all the Billy Graham movies. So she thought maybe this was it. 10 years later, the Time Magazine just had a poll, literally last month, and it said that 71% of Americans, of you and I, have a negative view of the future. We are pessimistic about our options in the future. Because, not because of 9-11, but because in the last 10 years, things have changed dramatically for us. No one can argue that point. And I know that it's uncomfortable to talk about. It's no fun. But we have to talk about it because Jesus said that for you and for I to ignore it, to not be diligent, he said to look up. Not to, not to look around at the circumstances, but to look up. And I say that today because our temptation is one of two things. One is to, well, there's probably three, but one for sure is the hide your head in the sand. I just don't want to think about it. I have no idea what's going on. You know, the Alan Jackson song 10 years ago, well, I don't know the difference between Iraq and Iran. That's most of America. We don't know the differences in those things. And, and, we, and it, it's a shame, not that we have to be experts, but we ought not to, to ignore the signs of the time. Jesus took the time to tell us what they would be. We ought to know them. We ought to be aware of them, and we ought to know what we should do about them. So the temptation would be, A, to hide your head in the sand. The other is to spend your days and nights on the Internet looking up conspiracy theories and figuring out what's happening and getting your weapons buried. And, your, and, and somewhere in the middle is reality. We ought to be prepared. It's not wrong to be prepared. It's not wrong to be thinking ahead. Thinking, well, you know, look, if something happens, I ought to be prepared. Fathers, we ought to be prepared for our families. That doesn't mean be freaked out and be panicked and got weapons buried in the yard and, and booby traps around the yard and, you know infrared goggles, and I mean, you know, whatever it is that means prepared, I'm not, I think that's not it. We don't need to move to Montana and build a compound, although the weather is very nice in Montana this time of year. But what should we do? Because Jesus said when these things begin to happen, we ought to be prepared. The, the, the seas would be tossed. The, the, the madness of the seas, how many tsunamis do we need to see? I mean, in one week we had an earthquake and a hurricane on the, on the East Coast. The, the, right, he said famines would be happening right now in Africa. Right now, 800,000 people are at risk of losing their life this month because of starvation, because of famine. I mean, I could go on and on. We literally could cross-reference the news in our Bibles, and it's all there. It's really not that difficult. But what do we do? Do we get freaked out? 
Do we go back and read the Tim LaHaye movies? Do we try to book Kirk Cameron to come and speak? I mean, what, what is the appropriate response for a church? That was a grenade joke. It takes a second for it to go off. Look, I love Kirk Cameron. My wife loves Kirk Cameron. I believe she had a poster of him on her wall growing up. Might still have it in the, in the closet somewhere. Jesus said, look up, your redemption draws nigh. What does it mean to look up? Colossians, we were talking about this at our village on Thursday night. Uh, Tim and Edie and Shannon are getting ready to launch a village we're going to lead. But on Thursday nights, I get to go be a part of a village that Alan and Heather McCombs lead. And if you're looking for one and you're in Spring Hill and you're looking for a place and a family to connect, there's Alan back there. Would you raise your hand? I see that hand. Um, Come connect with us on a Thursday night, especially if you've got teenagers. He lives right in Spring Hill. We're having a great time. We're studying the word. We're digging in, and the kids are downstairs uh, learning the word as well. But we talked about in Colossians 3, 2, that Paul would say to keep your minds on things that are above. And I think he said above our minds because our hearts are already there. It's our minds that we get lost in. Our minds can chase all the rabbit trails. Our minds can get freaked out. Our minds can also shut down. Because here's at the end of the day, I don't know if there's a conspiracy out there. I, I'm, a, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I'm a Jesus theory guy. Jesus is in control. So whatever is going on, like that's okay. We got to look up, keep our minds on what's above. There are three things that I can think of, three things that I think you should jot down, three things maybe you should go home and pray about what it means to look up and let the Spirit speak to you as to what that might mean and how it might look in your life. But three things where he says to look up to things where we can be looking up at, and the first one is right there in Luke 21.8 when he says, when you see these things happen, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. He's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. He promised that he would return. It's, there's a doctrine that's called the doctrine of eminence. And it's the doctrine that says that he could return at any moment. Jesus would say that it was the wazy, wazy, the wazy, the wascally wabbit, and the lazy and wicked servant that would say that I, he can't return today. At any moment, he could return. This nonsense that all this stuff has to happen and then he can return... One of the ones that I love is the, well, the gospel will be preached in all the earth and then he will return. That's true. But I'll do respect, and I don't mean any disrespect to TBN or any of the satellite networks. It, that isn't the answer to that prayer, that there would be satellites raining down. The book of Revelation, there's a picture of 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams preaching the gospel throughout the earth. There's a picture of two guys that would be uh, killed and resurrected on basically live television that says the whole world will watch. They will preach the gospel. There's a story of angels flying around the atmosphere, preaching the gospel. Notice what it says, that the whole gospel must be preached in all the earth, and then the end will come, not that Jesus will return. There's nothing that has to happen. In fact, if anything, fascinatingly enough, what's happening right now is even lining it up even more. There's, there's nations that are said that are going to rise against Israel, and Ezekiel brings that out, and it talks about nations like Libya and Egypt and Tunisia. Does this sound familiar to you? Nations that up until now have had secular, despot, whack-job dictators running them, which have now been replaced in the Arab Spring and replaced by Islamic regimes. 
If you don't believe me, what happened on the news yesterday was the story of the Israeli embassy in Egypt being torn down. Israel having to fly in jets and rescue out their staff because Egypt is going Islamic. It's happening. The, the, the guys, the Muslim Brotherhood that engineered this whole thing, 50 years ago, they said what their goal is, is a, is, a, is a regime, a coalition of Islamic nations that would bond together. That was never going to happen in Libya. No, not when Muammar Gaddafi has his own gig going. You know, that doesn't make any sense. He's gone. In Tunisia, he's gone. In fact, the only nation left that, was, that is mentioned that is still an ally with Israel, that is mentioned as one of the nations that will come and get them, is Turkey which is a secular Islamic regime, which is also an oxymoron. Those are one and the same. They have, their theology is their government. And this week, Turkey expelled the Israeli diplomats and cut off diplomatic ties with Israel because of the blockade of Gaza, because Israel has been blocking the docks, because, you know, they're shooting rockets already. Why do we give them a port open so they can shoot more rockets? Understand this, I'm not against the Palestinian people. There are Palestinian Christians right now who love Jesus I'm against Hamas, the organization that leads this nation, that is literally every day firing rockets over like it's 4th of July, hoping they're going to hit something. They've blocked it off, and Turkey said, yeah, we're cutting off our ties with you. And I say that not to be like the uh, pastoral buzzkill. You're like, man, I wish we'd have gone to the one where we're going to sing. But to say to you this, that Jesus said, when you see that stuff happen, don't freak out, but look up, because your redemption draws nigh. And I say that with all... All the hope I can muster, because if I, if I didn't have Jesus, if I didn't have that understanding, if I wasn't looking for his return, I might get a little freaked out. Be, Iran, I, I mean, this is, there is crazy stuff going on over there. It's like literally a game of like Islamic Jenga, and just the wrong one pulls out and the whole thing falls apart. The story this morning in the New York Times talks about Israel now feeling as isolated as they've ever felt. They're surrounded, all the nations around them. Egypt was an ally, not anymore. Libya wasn't an ally, but he was at least leaving him alone because you know, he loved his big tents and his camels, and he didn't want to go to war. Look up for your redemption draws nigh. Why does this matter to conduit? Matthew 25, and, and maybe you've just read this passage and thought, when we do it for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me, right? That's one of the, the verses that we have used as our church. That's why we do what we do. That's why our team, Tamara and Catherine, Catherine, Kathy, Catherine, and Ben just got back from Haiti because we're going to the least of these brothers of ours. But he said that in Matthew 25 is the altar call, if you will, the challenge at the end of a sermon when his disciples ask him, Master, tell us when will be the sign of your return? There will be wars. There will be rumors of war. It's the parallel passage to what we're reading in Luke 21. There's going to be famine. There's going to be pestilences. There's, there's going to be wars and earthquakes. And in the verse, in chapter 25, he then goes on to say, then I'm going to separate the sheep and the goats. And on the one side of the goats and on the other side of the sheep, and the, what was the sheep? It said, those were you, you were the ones that went to those that were the least of these brothers of mine. And you visited them in prison. Doesn't that make more sense in that context? You fed them. You clothed them. You loved them. He's not saying that because that's how we get saved. We are saved by grace, by the cross and nothing else. But if we are saved, there would be fruits of the spirit, fruits of our salvation. And that would be as a church, as individuals, that we will love the least of these brothers of ours. And if it is the last days, 
more important than a Sunday service in a church, more important than a killer worship ministry, more important than our youth ministry or our children's ministry is our least of these ministries because, man, we are going to be needed now more than ever. That's why as a church this last year, we loaded up a semi and a straight truck and went to Alabama. That's why we sent people to Joplin in our own country when this disaster struck. That's why Eric and Tizer are going to India. Because we want to be sheep on that day. And sheep, what do we do? We care for the least of these brothers of ours. You can go or you can send. You can do both or you can do either, but you can't do neither. Not if you're a Christian. Look up. He's returning. Your redemption draws nigh. The second thing to look up for is the preparation. It's heaven. He says in John 14 that I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when he says for you, what he's meaning is like for you, like I'm sure there'll be a, like a base cabinet in there and a, maybe a pro tools rig. Or, he, he's saying that for each and every one of us, that there is a reward, rewards plural, based upon the sacrifices we made this side of heaven. It's why a guy like Paul could go to Jerusalem knowing what was coming because he didn't have his eyes on here. He had his eyes up there. Gang, if we're lucky, let's say I get 85 years. My, my grandfather is 89 years old. He's in a nursing home in Grand Island, Nebraska. God only knows how he outlived everybody else. I mean, he's had a, like a bionic heart for as long as I can remember, one of those little bags. And he's outlived my mom. He's outlived his wife. He's like, but he's, he's gotten 89 years, okay? If we get that long, a million years into eternity, this was nothing. We spend 99% of our time focused on what is 0.0001% of our existence. We ought not to do that. We've got it completely backwards. We ought to be spending our time on a million years into eternity. This snap, James 4, I believe, is where you would call this life a, a vapor. It's a vapor. What, you know, if you're in the shower, you can see vapor. You can see it. You can reach out, but you can't grab it. You can't keep it. You can't take it because it's gone. He said, our life is like a vapor here. And any sacrifice we have made on this side of heaven, our God is just and he is righteous and he is true. It will be rewarded on the other side of heaven. Paul would talk about the Bema seat where it's a reward. We're coming in like we finished a race. Ashley is running cross country and she finished her race. There's a reward for winning that. For us, it, you know, I guess it's a trip to stake and shake. But, it's, but there's a reward for what we do on this side of heaven. God is just. And he would go on to say, Paul would say that there are those that will get to heaven. It'll be by the skin of your teeth. He actually says it'll be by, like being saved by fire. Like, oop, almost, but you're there. And you might say, Darren, that's great. If I'm in heaven, isn't that good enough? Uh, yes, but caveat. If Jesus said that it was a reward, if he promised you this amazing thing, don't you want that? Don't you want to spend your eternity doing that? Understanding that God isn't a socialist or a communist and he's going to reward us according to what we've done. Some will be rulers of one city and some of ten and some of... All I know is that if he said it's a reward and the guy sneezes stars, he says that my mind can't even... He says, my mind has not seen, my eye has not seen what it is that he's prepared for us. So whatever, imagine it as great as it could be. MTV Cribs, okay? It's you and Jay-Z kicking it. It's still better. It's still bigger than that. Whatever it is. 
We have to look up for his appearance. We look up for his preparation. And number three, we look up for his propitiation. You're like, what? (laughs) Propitiation. Simple. It's the cross. It's his payment of our debt. He said this in John, if I be high and lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Have you sang that song in church before? High and lifted up. He said that, John said, he said this, speaking of the manner in which he was to die. So next time you're singing high and lifted up, he meant on the cross. That we would look up to him. And when he was high and lifted up, that he would draw us unto him. The cross. And that is imperative because when I look at what happens around me, sometimes I get a little confused. I get a little like, wow, God, that's... I don't understand that. I can't explain that. I can look to the cross and say that I don't understand 9-11, but I understand that any God that would become man, that would shed his heaven, the whole thing, the crib, his house with Jay-Z, whatever it was, and come to us and then die for us in the brutal way that he did it, that's good. Whatever else I don't understand, I look to that and he is good. His propitiation of our sins to say that God can't look at sin with a wink and a nod and say, you know, it's no big deal. No, he's just. And so instead of punishing you, instead of punishing me, he said, I'm just. So the punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death. I'm going to cash that check for you. That's a pretty big deal, and it's a pretty great God that would do that. We can look up to the propitiation of our sins. And know this. I mean, if you've got little kids, you might understand this, but half the time when our kids want sweets, and sometimes they ask and they can have them, and sometimes they can't. Now try to logically explain that to a three-year-old. It just doesn't happen. They don't get it because their mind, right, is not like your mind. You can strap them into your car seat if you do the world tours like we do to go visit family. Anywhere else in our society that I tie my kid to a chair for 10 hours, I get thrown in jail. (laughs) But not on the Honda Odyssey. We strap them in there. And when they're three, when they're two, when they're one years old, they don't understand. They're going on a ride and they're going to go where the car, where the driver has taken them. Whether they like it or not. They're safe, they're cared for, they're fed, and they're angry as a hornet. (laughs) And it's not that I'm trying to hold out on them. It's they don't understand. It's not that God doesn't want to explain to us what happened on 9-11 or in any other tragedies in our lives. It's just that yet, I can't get it. And I can be angry about it. I can be frustrated. And great news, I love my kids just the same. Whether they're, well, sometimes when they're screaming. But no, whether they're screaming, I do love them. Just white-knuckle it a little bit more, right? (laughs) Um, Whether I'm screaming or whether I'm just, okay, look, I'm going to Minneapolis. I'm in this car seat. I'm going to get there one way or the other. I might as well enjoy it and watch the Star Wars movie or whatever else is provided for me by my father in this car. But I'm going there one way or the other. I'm restrained and I don't like it. It doesn't make any sense. Or I can just scream about it. Either way, I'm getting there and either way, God loves me. And I say to you that to say to you today that when he says that his thoughts are above our thoughts, our minds aren't wired that way. He said that someday Paul would say this, that I will fully know as I am fully known. I will get it. I will understand it. But in the meantime, I have to look up to the cross 
to Jesus Christ and the propitiation of our sins. The battle had waged for a long time on that day. And it was the original terrorists. Understand this. Satan might be crafty, but he is not creative. His tricks have been around forever. God would say, there's nothing new under the sun. The original terrorists were the Amalekites. And on that day, they were attacking Israel down in the valley. The Amalekites, when Israel was going into the promised land, you might remember the story. They were the ones that would attack Israel. They would attack the weak ones that were falling behind. They would attack the innocent ones who couldn't be protected. And then they would run off and hide. The original roadside bombs. Thousands of years ago, the Amalekites. A picture, by the way, every time in Scripture, they're a picture of our flesh. God would say to Israel to kill the Amalekites. Do away with them. Just like he would tell you and I to do away with our flesh, but yet this battle continues to wage, right? But on that day, it was Joshua on one side and his men, and it was the Amalekites on the other. But on a hill, not too far away, stood Moses with his arms outstretched, with his rod in his hand. And Moses would pray on that day. Pray, he prayed, he prayed. It's what we as a fellowship can do. It's what we must do. It's what we ought to do. We should pray. Moses would pray, and as his arms began to get tired and he would weaken, the Amalekites would begin to advance. It would begin to take over. And then he'd get his hands back up again, and then the Israelites would begin to win. Does this sound familiar? Maybe the story of your life, maybe the story of mine. He would advance on, and then Aaron and Hur noticed this, and they ran up and began to hold up Moses' arms as he prayed, his arms outstretched, a piece of wood in his arms. And he continued to pray, and at that point, the Israelites began to win and began to conquer and to chase out the Amalekites. But on occasion, every once in a while, Joshua and his boys probably would look back and they would see a picture of a man with his arms outstretched and a man on his right side and a man on his left side with wood in his hands, his rod, if you will. It was that day in Exodus chapter 17 that Moses would give the name Jehovah Nisi to God. It was God our banner, our flag. The American flag has allowed us as a people to be free. It has allowed us to send more missionaries and more money into the globe for the cause of Christ than any other nations in history combined. But that flag is not the flag that we march under. The flag that we march under is Jehovah Nisi, God, our banner. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, said that he has called us to his banquet table. His banner over us is love. We ought to pray for our nation. And my prayer is that our nation will stand strong. And I speak of that nation, I speak of America. That is my prayer. But I am also reminded of the book of Jeremiah where a nation called Israel, the entire book of Jeremiah, we don't have time for it this morning, but the entire book is a book about a nation that was in decline. It was a nation called Israel that had fallen in love with idols. You say, well, that's not a big deal, right? In this time, and you might remember the book of Daniel, they were, there was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. In the kingdom of Babylon, next door. And Israel, during that time, and their idols would take their babies. This is historical fact. 
and sacrificed them to the god Moloch. Moloch, which was this big giant statue, and they would heat Moloch up to molten hot and put their babies in this statue and let them fry to death because of idols. Idols that would cause men to leave their wives because of impurity. And God would basically say to Israel, you want idols? I'll give you idols. He didn't say that, but that's the tone of it because he then said to, and this is what struck me in the book of Jeremiah, I will send my servant Nebuchadnezzar. Wait, what? My servant Nebuchadnezzar? This guy was a pompous, arrogant. He was the guy that would look over the hanging gardens of Babylon and say, it is my hands that have created all of this. Three different times he would attack Israel and take prisoners. And for 70 long years, they would be in Babylon. So they were so up to their idols, past their eyeballs, they were sick of idols. When we pray, God, heal our land, does it mean that he'll cause the economy to surge? Does it mean that the wars will end? I hope so. I pray that. That's my will. But I also know this, that his will is grander, it's smarter, and whatever it means, we don't fly the American flag, we fly Jehovah Nisi, God, our banner. And whatever it looks like, as a church, we must unite, look up our redemption draws nigh, look up for the preparation that he has given us for the future, and look up for the propitiation that he has given us for our present, and say, it's going to be okay. I do not join the 71% of Americans who are pessimistic, and I hope that you do not either. I pray that 100% of the body of Christ is positive and optimistic. That whatever happens here, we don't fly under the American flag. Again, I mean no disrespect to it. My grandfather fought for that freedom that we have here. It's an honor that we have. That we can do this right here in this public school is an honor and it's a greatness that this country has had. But when we pray for God to heal our land, be aware that I don't know what the answer is going to be, except that the result will be that what happened with Israel, that they rejected their idols, that they didn't bow, that they could throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a fiery furnace and that Jesus would be right there in the middle of it. They could throw Daniel into the lion's den. These are all the stories that happened during that period. And he would walk out unharmed. We don't have to We don't have to be eaten by the lions. We don't have to be burned in the fire because Jesus is here with us. Our Jehovah Nisi, the banner of God. He would say to us this morning to come to the banquet table. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 4, I think, give or take. And that his banner over us is love. I was so struck because the towers, one on the right, one on the left, fell that day, but rising from the middle of the rubble was a cross. Nobody made it. It was just there. A reminder that man will fail us, but our cross, whether or not we can see it, whether or not we can experience it, know that it's there. It is there. It rises up our propitiation for our present, our past, and our future. And I would invite you this morning to think, Aaron and her, a picture, Moses on the right, on, as Aaron on the left is her, a picture of Jesus in a cross with wood standing behind him. He said it is your, his rod and his staff that would come for us, his rod, his banner, if you will, of love over us. Are, are you someone that would say, like the thief that said, I, I am sorry for my sins, I believe that you're the son of God, and 
He said to him, come into my kingdom today, it's yours. Or are you the thief on the other side? Either way, the thieves are not there anymore. They're long gone, but one of them is in an eternity with, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And the other one said, I will not have you be the Lord over me. Which one are you? Which man, which woman are you? And I invite you today as we begin to pray and to seek God's face to make a decision to be the one that said, Lord, I will have you to be the Lord over my life. And for those of you that have agreed to have him be the Lord over your life, may the word Lord no longer be a word, but be a description of his relationship to you and to I. He is near you today. He was near in the rubble of 9-11. He is near us now. Whether or not we are feeling it or acknowledging it is irrelevant. He is here. And he is calling for you today to come to his banquet table to come and dine. An acknowledgement, a celebration of what he did for us on the cross. We're going to play a song with some images, but what I would love for you to do more than anything is to, right where you are, figure out which side of the cross you stand on, And come in, it's over here now, to the table and to partake of the communion that God has for us. If you feel that, if you don't feel that, and you know, just, but if the Spirit is speaking to you in that way, the communion is available as this song plays. And in a minute, I want to come back and challenge us as a church and tell you, as a church, the world might be falling around us, but we will not. We stand on the rock of Jesus Christ with the propitiation with his appearance coming, with the preparation taken care of. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here today. If there's someone, Lord, that you're drawing, that they would listen to you today, that you are going to return. You promised it, and you're coming back. The signs are everywhere. We look up for our redemption that draws nigh for you that will come in the clouds. And I pray that young or old or halfway in between, if you are not ready today, Lord, that you would speak to them and draw them in to us, to you, to your kingdom, Lord. And for those of us that have maybe called you, Lord, but have not given you that description over our lives, that we might do that as well today. You are near us today. You were near us 10 years ago. You are near us today. You will be near us for an eternity. And thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you are someone that feels like I want to have a relationship with Jesus and I, have, I, I, I don't know if he were to return, whether I would go with him, I don't know which side of the cross I'm on, I'm going to be right here and I'd love to pray with you. For the rest of us, let the song play, let the Lord speak to you. Communion is available. The musicians are going to come and minister to us as well. And again, we're going to come back and talk about the future. But for now, Let's embrace Jesus as our Lord, not just as our buddy.